Well, we are continuing with our series, looking through at Hebrews chapter 11 um, today. We've looked at several people throughout this chapter, along with a little break that the author took last week to talk about faith in sp- some specifics. Um, but today we're going to talk about something interesting. Have any of you been through something in your life that you did not understand? You ever been through something you didn't understand? You ever find yourself asking in that moment, why? What, 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 what's the point of this? Or even, how do I get out of this? How can I get through this? God, just get me out of this moment. Or maybe, let's even make, make it even more complicated. Has God ever asked you to do something that you don't understand? And you thought, okay, I don't see the end of this road. It makes absolutely no sense to me that I'll walk it anyway. I was thinking about, there's somebody Katie mentioned to me a few weeks ago, and we've been praying along with these people. Um, they're going through some great tragedy, asking this question, I, what can we do right now we don't understand? A young couple, young kids, a year ago or so, the, the father, the husband, and the family got cancer. God brought him through that. He recovered. And then, was it last week, Katie, or the week before? Last week? Like, like last Thursday or something, or the week before? Okay, yeah, a week and a half ago. Um, he woke up in the middle of the night, and she wasn't breathing. Uh, and they were able to get her to the hospital, she, and then she started having all these seizures, and they tried to cool, they cooled her body down and sedated her pretty heavily, and every time they would bring her off the medication, the seizures would come back, like dramatic and, and, and uh, terrible ones, and they didn't know for the longest time what the problem was. Um, they were trying to wean her off of the medication, hoping her body would recover. Um, they think they found an issue in her heart that may have caused some of that, uh, but even, even I think I saw, I looked this morning as of last night or this morning, I think it was late last night, her dad had posted, um, they still don't, you know, know the end of this. She's still in the middle of it. They tried bringing her off the medication yesterday, it didn't work, and um, every day is a journey, every day is, is a, uh, hopefully God will do a miracle today moment, but even in that, He's, he's on staff at a church. You find yourself asking, even on staff at a church, I don't, you know, saying, God, I don't understand. God, what are we supposed to do right now because we don't understand? And we can say all day long and we can know it in our minds. This world is broken and there's broken things in this world and all this hurt and pain is a result of the broken world. But that still doesn't alleviate oftentimes the difficulty and the struggle and the grief and the pain of, I just don't understand it. And, you know, we want to know, right? I mean, we, we want it explained to us. We want to know the end result. We want to know why this happened. We want to know how to get through it. What can we do when we don't understand the situation? Well, we're going to look at a guy today who was given a task by God that if it were you and God came to you and said this, it would make absolutely no sense whatsoever. So let's take a look. Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Uh, if you're using a Bible in the pew rack, sorry, it's on page 1008, 1008 on the Bible there on the pew rack. And 
If you don't have a Bible, then you can take that one home. We've got extras we can replace that one with. But everybody needs a Bible. Everybody needs the Word of God. And so you take that one home. So uh, page 1008, Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So Abraham, Abraham, as we've looked here in Hebrews 11, Abraham's mentioned before. Abraham lived in this part of the world that worshipped a bunch of other gods. It's insinuated that Abraham also worshipped these other gods until the one true God came to him. And then Abraham realized those other ones were fake. Here's the one true God. I'm going to worship him. And God called Abraham from one place and said, go somewhere else. I'll show you when you get there. Abraham, in faith, went to this place. And then God comes to Abraham when he's 75 years old and said, Abraham and your wife Sarah, who have no children, I'm going to give your descendants, I'm going to give you so many descendants, it's more numerable than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Uh, And Abraham at 75 says, okay, and he believed. And scripture says that was credited to him as righteousness. Well, time passes, uh, ends up, Abraham has this son when he's uh, uh, 100 years old. So 25 years have passed. He has this child. The child's name is Isaac. And Isaac is the son of the promise. Because it's through Isaac that all these descendants are going to come. It's through Isaac that he has this promise uh, in, in Genesis chapter 12, that the entire world will experience the blessing and salvation through a descendant of Isaac. That promise ultimately will be in Jesus. And so it's Isaac, his son, And then God comes to him, and we see, we're going to read it here in a minute, but Abraham was tested and told to sacrifice Isaac, sacrifice him. He's tested and told to sacrifice Isaac. That testing, that's a a thorough and extensive testing, really to find the proof of faith, to find the proof of faith, whether he had faith or not, seeing if his actions matched up his words. He said he had faith. And so this act of sacrificing his son was to prove it. But I had this thought in praying through this passage. God would have already known the level of Abraham's faith. And so it says Abraham was tested to, by, sacrifice, or by being asked to sacrifice Isaac. But why would he need to be tested if God already knew the level of his faith? If God already knew how much faith was in Abraham? Because God knows everything, and so God would have known how much was present in him. So the test then, the testing of Abraham's faith, wasn't for God's benefit. It wasn't for God to find out. The testing of Abraham's faith was for Abraham's benefit. Was to prove it to Abraham, whether or not his faith matched up with his words. His actions matched up with his declaration of faith, so that he would know how much faith he had, and he would know the quality and the kind of faith that he had. So he was tested in this way. See, Abraham had said he believed, but as is the case with all of us, faith is always easy until we're directed to give something up that we value. Faith is easy when we're going through easy things. Faith is easy when life isn't hard and difficult. And so God comes to Abraham and tells him to sacrifice something. And now faith is difficult. And the test is there. Is he going to trust God? 
when he's directed to trust God. He's directed to trust God's plan. He's directed to trust, really, God's goodness now that it actually costs something. Is he going to trust that God is good when God says, all right, you need to sacrifice your son, the son of the promise. You need to sacrifice him, offer him up. And he has to, in that moment, decide whether he will trust God's goodness or not. Well, look at verse 19. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So Abraham, we get a little glimpse into his mindset here, verse 19. His thought process was, even though he had no context for this, I mean, we do because, I mean, we've read Scripture. We know Jesus died and rose from the dead. But for Abraham, he's never heard of anybody coming back from the dead. And so his thought is, okay, God wants me to sacrifice Isaac. Well, then naturally, because God is good, he must be willing, he must be uh, meaning to raise Isaac back from the dead. He trusted God fully, and he didn't question God's direction. He only went and he did it. He did it because he assumed that God was good. You see, for Abraham, he knew, he knew, and this is what he considered absolutes. God is always true, and God is always good, and God's word is always true, and God's word is always good. And so if God is always true and good, and God's word is always true and good, and God tells me to sacrifice my son, then there must be something that I don't understand. You see, his assumption when faced with a situation that is difficult, his assumption is not that he misheard God. His assumption is not, well, God must be wrong. His assumption is not, well, God must not be good. His assumption is, well, there must be something that limits me. Because God is limitless, and God is always good, and God's word is always good. And so if God has said this, then there must be something that I don't understand. So I'm just going to go and do it. Because I don't understand it. But it's not my job. This is Abraham's mindset. It's not my job to understand everything God does. It's simply my job to obey him and allow him to take care of the rest. And so Abraham obeys God because he assumes God's goodness. He assumes the very nature of who God is, is good. He doesn't discount God's goodness or the goodness of God's word. He assumes his own limitations rather than God's limitations He believes that just maybe God knows something that he does not as a limited human being, God's creation. So Abraham is able to act on faith. Grab Isaac, go up the hill. Abraham's able to act on faith because he believes without a shadow of a doubt that God is good, always. God is always good. There's never a time that God is not good. And so really, that's what faith is. Faith is... Trust God. Trust God's goodness. Even when we don't know all the details. Faith trusts that God is always good even when we don't know all the details. And I know all you people are holy and godly and perfect, so there's never a time that you want to know all the details. Right? Yeah, I know you people. 
You're like me. You want to know all the details. You want God to lay out, you know, this 20-point plan and give you the way this next week is going to roll out. And you want to know everything that he's going to bring, that the world's going to bring, that the enemy's going to bring. You want to know how it all fits, how it all flows together, and how God's going to get you through it. You want to know the ins and outs of the whole. You want to know the end of the story and everything in between. We want to know the details. But knowing the details doesn't require faith. Because faith trusts that God is always good and that God is in control, even when we don't know the details. Faith doesn't need the details because faith trusts God. Faith doesn't need the in-between because faith is trust. And we know from Scripture, from how God works through the lives of all of these people, that God is never going to give you a life that doesn't need faith. He's not going to give you a life where you don't need to trust him. Every element of our life in this fallen, broken world, we need Jesus. And and the lives that we have, we need to rely on him in every moment, at every juncture, and, and turn to him constantly. And so what faith is, is it is a trust in God, especially in those moments when I don't know the details of what's happening or what's coming or or where I don't understand the ins and outs of the moment because God is always good, always good, no matter what comes my way, no matter what I'm facing. Scripture tells us this. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 145, 9, the Lord is good to all. Psalm 119, 68, praising God. You are good and do good. You see, the thing about God's goodness is God cannot do evil. He can't. You say, God can do everything. Well, no, God can't sin. God can't do evil. He can't. Because in his nature, God is good. And if God were able to do any sort of evil, then there would not be perfect goodness within him. And if there's not perfect goodness within him, then he's not God. He has to be perfectly good in order to be a perfect God. And so God being perfectly good, we have to understand that is foundational. That is, that is uh, uh, hard as rock. That is fastened. That cannot be undone. He is always good. And so if something is coming our way that is making us think that that there is not goodness within God, then there is a limitation and a misunderstanding within us that we're not seeing, that we're not getting. I mean, imagine the life of Job. He was faced with terrible, terrible things. The death of 10 children in one day. Losing all of his finances in one day. Losing his health the next day. Having his most trusted, you know, friend, his wife, tell him, just curse God and die. And at the end, you get to uh, Job 42. He never finds out why. He never finds out why he had to endure all of that. We know when we read Job 1 and 2, it was the enemy. It was the enemy who did all of that. But Job never finds out why. I mean, it can bring encouragement to us now to see how he endured that and how God offered great grace and mercy there when he spoke at the end of the book. But Job never found out why. You know, we, we see in Scripture, so we're told in Scripture, sometimes what we go through is not necessarily strictly for our benefit, it's for the benefit of others to whom we can minister. 
We may not often see that. We may not want to see that because we don't want to go through it ourselves. But that doesn't mean God can't use our pain to encourage others. That doesn't mean that God can't use our experience to further his kingdom. Doesn't mean he wanted it or instigated it. I mean, God's perfect plan in the Garden of Eden was no sin, was no broken world, was no pain, was no grief. That was God's plan. And we see in in Revelation, when you get to the end of Revelation, that's God's plan again. It will come again once sin is eradicated and the enemy is done away with. That's not God's plan, but what God's plan is in Romans 8 is to work all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. It's people who follow him. Follow him, even in the difficulty, even when it doesn't make sense. Faith trusts God. Faith trusts God's goodness. Faith doesn't doubt God's goodness or faithfulness. Faith understands God is always good, God is always faithful, and nothing can undo that. Faith trusts that even though I don't understand everything, God does. Faith trusts that God understands all of it. So you can either desire to know everything, or you can trust that God knows everything. You can't do both. In faith, you can either either trust that God has it all in his hands, or you can have a desire within you to know it all and and really do do God's job for him, but you can't do both. Faith trusts God. Faith trusts that even when I don't understand everything, God does. I want you, you know what, let's, let's, um, let's look at uh, Genesis 22. This is what's being referred to in Hebrews uh, back in uh, Genesis 22. Let me get there. The situation, the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis 22. Uh, it's the first 13 verses is where we're going to go. It's on page 16 if you're using the Bible there on the pew rack. So after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Now, he's catch that in the verse. God tested him. But again, remember, God knows how the test is going to come out. So the test is for Abraham's benefit. And Abraham said, here I am. Verse 2. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will show you, or I, will, I shall tell you. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, notice the faith Abraham had there at the end of the verse. Abraham knows God said, go and sacrifice your son. But Abraham says there at the end of that verse, we're both coming back. So what the author of Hebrews was telling us, he believed God would raise Isaac from the dead, yes. So he said, we're both going to go up there, we're going to do this thing, we're going to have a sacrifice, but we're both coming down this mountain. We're both walking down this mountain alive. It's what Abraham says. Verse 6. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. 
And they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. Faith again. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. That's an important phrase. Your son, your only son. Verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Now, I'll finish reading in a second. But I want you to think about something. A ram in a thicket just off to the side. Caught in the thicket. God could have supernaturally made the ram appear there while Abraham's building the altar and doing, putting his son on the altar and getting the wood ready and lifting the knife. Or, quite possibly, the ram was there before Abraham and Isaac started climbing the mountain. The substitute was already there, even though Abraham didn't see it. Look at the rest of verse 13. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So, reading this, we see Abraham's great faith. And if you're familiar with this passage, then, you know, we get familiar with certain things and, and other things we don't see. But reading this with fresh eyes, you might find a couple of problems. One being, while some unbelieving cultures of that day participated in human sacrifice, God never endorsed or supported the idea of human sacrifice. Actually, in Scripture, God straight condemns human sacrifice. I got those references for him if you want them. Deuteronomy 12, 31 and Deuteronomy 18, 10. God outright says human sacrifice is wrong. Do not do it under any circumstances whatsoever. So such a sacrifice would be unacceptable to God. And the promise of hope for the world was to come through Isaac's descendants. So one of the guys I read said the promise itself that, that, that Jesus was coming, the promise made impossible the completion of the sacrifice. The sacrifice would not have gone through because the promise made it impossible. Not only that, but the promise would have been unacceptable because God condemns human sacrifice. Secondly, we saw there in the passage, I pointed out to you, Isaac is called Abraham's only son. Now, if you're very familiar with the Old Testament, you would know Isaac is not Abraham's only son. Abraham's got another one, Ishmael. When Abraham and his wife Sarah tried to shortcut God's plan, they had Ishmael. So he's got another son, but he's called, Isaac is called here by God, Abraham's one and only son. How is that possible if we know he's got another son? Well, I mentioned it earlier just in passing, but Isaac is the one and only son of the promise. The promise of deliverance for the world, the promise of salvation for the world was to come through Isaac. And so when, when God says he's your one and only son, that's what he means. The one and only son of 
the promise. The promised future was to come through Isaac. The deliverance was to come through Isaac. And so Abraham is told by God to do something in sacrificing Isaac, the hope of the promise that God absolutely condemns human sacrifice and the hope for the world is through Isaac. So Abraham is told to do something that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. He's told to sacrifice the son of the promise, his one and only son, through whom the hope of the world was prophesied. Now, that phrase, one and only son, might bring something to mind because Isaac is not the only one and only son in Scripture through whom the hope of the world is promised. A promise of another son to be offered up as a sacrifice, a one and only son that would bring hope, that would bring salvation, and that's Jesus. However, there's a difference between Isaac and Jesus. Whereas Isaac was taken by Abraham to be offered as a sacrifice, Jesus sacrificed himself. In John chapter 10, verse 18, speaking of his life, Jesus said, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So Jesus is saying in that scripture, I am going to sacrifice myself for the sins of the world, and then I will raise from the dead. I will come back to life. He said, because I'm Jesus, I can do that. And Jesus will be the first to come back to life for eternity, making it possible for all of us to do the same. So Jesus, the one and only son of the promise, sacrificed himself so that we might live if we believe. You know, an argument could be made comparing Jesus to Isaac, one and only sons of the promise, uh, Isaac being offered as a sacrifice, Jesus sacrificing himself. But really in reality, in that story of Abraham going to sacrifice Isaac and God delivering the ram for the sacrifice, Jesus is not so much like Isaac. Jesus is like the ram, dying so that another might live. And that's what Jesus did for all of us. He sacrificed for all of us. Even knowing full well, as this, 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 this whole series is about faith, knowing full well that we would not always act in faith. Knowing full well that there would be many moments in our lives that we act in faithlessness. That we desire and and. and, and think more about what the details of our situation could be than we do about having faith that God knows all the details and trusting him with them. He still died knowing all of that would happen. He still died knowing how we would act certain ways. He still died knowing that a majority of the world would reject him and not believe. He still died and rose just to give us the opportunity to believe, just to give us the choice to believe. So he, like the ram, died in our place. Now go back to, to Hebrews. Now I love the way it's phrased. That the author of Hebrews said, and we don't know who, we don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews because there's no name attached to it. But the author writes in verse, what verse was it, 19? Uh, he considered that God would even raise, could, was even able to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. 
it's as though Isaac got a new life after that. And he could walk in this knowledge that not only did God sacrifice something for him to live, but he was, God had a purpose for him that was beyond that mountain. And that's the way it is with all of us. That really, the picture of salvation, we're going to see in a minute when we baptize, is dying to ourself. Dying to our own personal desires. Dying to a desire to know all the details. Dying to a desire to control everything. Dying to a desire to always be proven right. Dying to our selfishness. And raising in a new life in Jesus, trusting him, having faith in him, that he can control it all, that he can take care of it all, that he's got my life in his hands. Dying to what was, raising to what will be, a life of faith, trusting God at every point, at every juncture, even when I don't understand why this is happening to me, even when I don't understand why God is asking me to do this, that trusting God, even when the lights go funky, the enemy is in technology many, many times, trusting God, no matter what comes your way, following God no matter what. If, if it's the result of a broken world and a broken system, you trust God. If it's the result of what somebody else does to you, you trust God. If what happens to you is a direct result of consequence of what you yourself have done, you still trust God. You trust God no matter what comes your way, no matter what happens to you. Even if it's God who did it to you, you trust God. Because what are the alternatives? You trust yourself? Who doesn't know everything? I don't know if your parents ever told you that growing up. You don't know everything. But I'll tell you right now, you don't know everything. You can't. Your brain can't contain it all. You, just, you don't know it. And we just need to be self-aware enough and accept the fact, I don't know everything, I'm not going to know everything, and just trust God with all of it. Just trust him. Because he's big enough to trust. God is in control. God has a plan. God's plan is good. God is in control, God has a plan, God's plan is good. Do you trust him with your life? Do you trust him with the stuff you don't understand? Do you trust him with the stuff you don't understand about other people? Do you trust him with everything that you don't get? And so I'll ask you two questions. Will you today, in faith, release the desire to know everything, control everything, and trust that God is good in all things? And if you have not yet believed in Jesus, will you believe today that he died like that ram in your place so that you can live after you die? Will you believe and then live a life acting like you believe? That Jesus died in your place for you. So all your sins would be paid for. Even the secret quiet ones in the back of your mind that you hold on to, the enemy brings back to your mind every once in a while that you haven't told anybody about because you know, it's, it's embarrassing and it's scary and it's weird and you don't want to tell anybody. They would think certain things about you and we wouldn't hear, but other people would. Because everybody's fallen and everybody's broken. Me among all of them. Me chief of all, as Paul would say. But he died for those. 
They're already paid for. They're done. They're gone. They're away. So that you can live forever and have a relationship with your creator. Will you believe in Jesus today? Stop putting it off. Stop wrestling with it. Stop, stop the excuse list and say, well, I'm not going to do it today. I'm going I'm to wait till next week. I'm going to wait till next month. I'm going to wait till so-and-so is here. I'm going to wait till this is happening. No, stop putting it off. The putting it off conversation in your mind is the enemy trying to stop you every single time. When God told you to do something, when God brings a conviction, if there's any thought in your mind of putting it off, that's the enemy. Every time. If God ever puts it in your heart, you know, you, like tonight, you really need to go and read, read scripture real quick. And you think, well, after, you know, after, after this show ends and I'm binging at the moment, then I'll do it. No, that's the enemy saying, stop, because you're going to fall asleep in the middle of the show. And that little screen will come up and say, are you still watching? And you're going to wake up with that screen still on your TV. <laughs> I'm not saying I've ever done that, but I'm just saying other people. <laughs> when God gives you a conviction, you do it. And any thought that comes in your mind... To delay what God is telling you to do is the enemy. So if God's telling you to get saved today, you get saved today. Don't let your feet leave the green carpet until God has got a hold of you. Maybe, maybe you need to get baptized today. I already told you we're baptizing at least one. We can baptize you. See, I didn't bring the right clothes. Well, we still got some of the bab- baptismal, baptismal robes. You can put on a robe. We can baptize you. That's not an excuse anymore. Stop the excuse mess. If you need to get baptized today, and baptism doesn't save you, but baptism shows the world you belong to Jesus. If you want to show the world you belong to Jesus, then you can do it right now. It's warm, and I cleaned it out from bugs this morning. There may be an, I I haven't checked it since the service started, but there weren't any bugs earlier. So you can get baptized today. So don't let that be an excuse either. The enemy's trying to say, don't do it today. Wait till so-and-so's this. We're taping this sucker and and putting it online. If so-and-so's not here, you can show it to them. You come now and get baptized. If you need to put your life in this church and join this church, like that family we had joined the church last week, you need to come and join the church and God's been saying, you need to do it. Stop putting it off. You need to do it. And you're putting it off and putting it off saying, maybe next time, maybe once the kids are so-and-so years old, maybe once this happens, maybe once I achieve this in my life, stop it excuses are from the enemy just do it just do it walk in faith live in faith believe in faith will you be faithful today with what God's put on you will you come and believe in Jesus will you be baptized will you join the church Will you come and, and, and kneel at the altar in just a moment after I pray and say, I, Jesus, I need more faith. I need to trust your goodness. I need to trust you even when I don't understand everything. Trust that you know everything. Maybe there's somebody in your life you need to come down here and you need to uh, fall on your knees and plead for their heart because they've allowed a desire to know everything yank them away from a faith in Jesus. Jesus. And you need to wear the carpet out. I was reminded this week of a guy who died a few years ago. His wife died this past week. Who, even in the throes of cancer, when he could not get out of bed and go to the bathroom, he would, get, he would roll out of bed, crawl to this area in his bedroom, and kneel in prayer. And the reason we know that, I went to his house several times. There were two spots in his carpet that were worn out because that's where he put his knees 
every day, morning and evening, in faithfulness, praying for his family, praying for his church, praying for people who needed to know Jesus. Will you come down here and wear this carpet out because somebody has been put on your heart that needs to know Jesus? So you can make a decision for Jesus today. You can come and pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing. And, and, and that will be your cue. Music starts. I say amen. That's your cue to stop with the excuses and do for God.